this podcast, I went to Lawton in East Sussex to talk to Paul Seaborn, a knowledgeable and experienced horticulturalist, nurseryman and general all-round expert on the mysteries of plant propagation. I've met Paul at various plant fairs and at events held at the Garden House in Brighton, and I was so delighted to have managed to manoeuvre myself into getting what was effectively a one-to-one masterclass from a terrific plantsman. So today I'm in Lawton in East Sussex and meeting Paul Seaborn. Hello, Hello, Paul. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, letting me come and talk to you. And I know that you're a very experienced horticulturalist and you're a plantsman, mm-hmm. but I think you do several other things as well. So could you just outline well, what you do? I'm, I've been very lucky. I've, Like many people in horticulture, I've had a career change. And over the years, you try different things. Yeah. And I've had the opportunity to uh, work in nurseries and to work in gardens. And over time... you begin to find out what you enjoy. And I've begun to, I suppose, specialise in the uh, nursery side and the propagation side. So I do mainly that now. But I still do a little bit of gardening for other people. Uh, It's what brings the money in sometimes. (laughs) uh, And it gives you a variety of experiences. Yes, absolutely. I suppose in an opportunity perhaps to try out some of the plants in different gardens. Uh, Absolutely. I think when I first started working in nurseries, it was more of an academic experience. You were trying to learn names of plants and yeah. to learn how to sell the plants and learn how to propagate the plants. Yeah. But it wasn't really until I got a very large garden of my own yeah. and started to work in larger gardens that you get used to dealing with the plants day in, day out. Mm. And you know what their seasons are like and you know when to propagate them, know how to handle them, know, know what they go well with or what situations they like most. Yeah. So actually... The gardening alongside the nursery work is very important yes. because otherwise nursery work would be quite sterile, uh-huh. be right. almost like a, a production process rather than understanding the plants. Yes, yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay. And how long have you been here in Lawton? We've been here just over 10 years. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, we lived in Brighton before. Yeah. Um, we moved from London originally. I grew up in Devon, oh. had a career before this. Yeah and moved out of Brighton really to get more space and Uh we were very lucky to find this. Uh, It's too big for us. How big is it? It's two acres. Gosh, yeah. Uh, It's at least an acre too much. (laughs) Right. Um, But in a way it's been um, our saving grace because when we first moved out here I worked in another nursery, a lovely little nursery up in Black Boys um, called Pure Plants and sadly um, after a while they decided to to close mm-hmm. and that meant that i was scrabbling around for work mm. um, i did more gardening but over time doing a few little plant sales alongside mm. um, and i started off doing plant sales with bridget saunders at the garden house yes and then also at plant fairs like great comp or great dixter right um, it meant it brought in a little bit of extra income and having this extra space yes was the saving grace really it enabled me to produce more plants from the garden 
-huh. and brought in an income in addition to some of the gardening that I was doing oh, at the right, time. Right, okay, but still it is a big area to look after yeah, on top of everything it else is. you're doing. Uh, and the cynical side of me always argues actually that I spend a lot of my time trying to keep the countryside out. Yeah. In the last couple of years, we've just put deer fence around because we were having problems with the deer. Yeah. Uh, they would come in. Uh, one night, I might look at a plant and think, oh, I'll propagate that in the morning. And then the next morning, I'd go out and it had gone. <laughs> it had been grazed away. Yes. And in fact, the final straw was when my husband was having a meeting at home yeah. and the deer were looking through the kitchen window. And <laughs> Saying, thought, what time's exactly, coffee? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And we thought, that is it. Yeah. So we've put oh, deer fencing dearly, around. Right. We started off with rabbit fencing. I spend quite a lot of time chasing moles around. Right. Uh, mice have ring-barked a lot of my trees and hedges. But the countryside is still a wonderful place. It's marvellous, yeah. yes. Nature is exactly. a wonderful it thing. Is, yeah. If it would just keep outside of my garden, <laughs> yes. it would be much better. If only yeah. it would read the, uh, the, the keep-away notices. Exactly. I know. What a, what a pain. Um, OK, so... Uh, you said this isn't where you're from originally, so no. could we go back in yeah, time yeah, yeah. a little bit to where it all started? I thought, actually, you were brought up in London, but obviously no, not. No, Devon. I grew up in Devon, okay. uh, a little fishing village called Beer. Right. Uh, and I suppose my first inspiration for gardening was my grandfather. Yes. Yeah, um, Fred, um, uh, I think he was on Juno Beach in the Second World War. Yes. Um, and... Uh, luckily he survived and we're here to tell the tale yeah. sadly he's gone now but I was all of my uh, sisters and cousins have distinct memories of his garden growing up mm. on a steep-sided south-facing garden in a little uh, valley in the fishing village of beer mm. he would stride up and down steep concrete steps tending huge quantities of runner beans and strawberries a vegetable man uh, a vegetable man and actually you know, it's those sorts of things now, that even though I don't have time to do it, regrettably, yeah. it's those sort of things I still have a lot of affection for. Yes. And still, I mean, it's a lot of people will say the same thing, but the smell of tomatoes in a greenhouse is very reminiscent of him yeah. and as a child. Uh, helping him in the garden, well, helping him eat the strawberries, perhaps. <laughs> as my Harvesting in agree. inverted yes, commas. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we grew up in, in Devon, but. Um, I went on to a grammar school, a fairly academic background, mm. uh, and certainly at that time, that would have been the mid-80s, any level of practical education was with being withdrawn mm. from uh, school at that time, so any opportunity for me to do outdoor stuff or more practical things, which clearly I'm interested in, were slowly withdrawn, and I went on to a career in economics. Right. I went to university, I worked in the civil service, I was a teacher for a while. Right, teaching uh, economics? Teaching economics, Gosh, yeah. right. Uh, so, I, mean, I mean, at that time, was that? did you feel that was your oh, right I, route? I loved the Were subject, you, yes, I really did yeah. love the subject. I've got more cynical about it over the years. I think people would say that economists can tell you the price of everything but the value of nothing. <laughs> um, and economics in recent years um, has not shown itself in a good light, let's say. Mm. But I've been lucky that that gave me a good start to a career it gave me an income it got us on the property ladder yes um, and since getting married and moving on I've been able to step back from that uh, career path which is a better would provide a better standard of living and I'm much more able now to um, do something which I enjoy yes and it I have of all the things in my life being able now to do 
in my day-to-day -day work what I would choose to do in my spare time is an amazing feeling. Yes. Uh, sometimes I question on a Sunday afternoon, why am I still in my potting shed? But if you like <laughs> it, then you keep doing it. Yes. And actually to earn some money from it is a is a fantastic thing. Yeah, wonderful. Absolutely. I mean, it's a follow your dream, isn't it, yeah, really? It is. Yeah, so yeah. that's terrific. So you started in Devon and your parents weren't gardeners then Not, so much? It was I your... think it probably skipped a generation a little bit. Uh -huh. um, my parents are now interested in gardening later on, but oh. they had work to do. Yes, of course. And they yeah. had three children to bring up. Yes. Um, and... I suspect, uh, given the opportunity, my grandfather would step in and take over and do parts of their garden for them. Yeah. Um, and really, as a as a teenager or a youngster, I wasn't very interested in plants or gardens. No. It really now, and I think this is the same for a lot of people, as you get older, you tend to appreciate the things around you a lot more. Yeah. And I've come to gardening a lot later in life, but... Uh, uh, enjoying it all the yeah, more. Yeah, a great deal of enthusiasm. So um, when did you move to London then from Devon? Well, that uh, was partly as a response to uh, my career. I was working uh, as a teacher in economics and mm -hmm. then I went into the civil service oh, in central London. Yeah. Uh, and of course there you have no outdoor space. You're lucky if you can get a property at all. Yes. Um, and it was really as a result of really getting exhausted by the economic side and even yeah. the teaching in the end yeah. wore me down slightly. Yes. <laughs> uh, and the, once your enthusiasm for the subject goes or for the students go, yeah. you really need a change of scene. And I was able really to take a year off. Yes. Um, and part of that year involved um, studying a low-level horticultural course at um, well, what is now Plumpton College, right. uh, part of the Stammer Park. Yes. Um, complex. Yes. So you move from London, then then you move back out back as Brighton. part of this re-evaluation yeah, exactly, period. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, okay. we both wanted to get out of London. Right. Uh, we'd made a little bit of money on the house, and we were able to move out. Yeah. Um, Brighton's a good location, exactly, isn't it? Exactly. So, yeah. 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 And um, so the course you did a low-level course you said in in horticultural mm. uh, horticulture. And did that sort of ignite it for you? When yeah, you... well, I'd always I'd had an allotment in Brighton. Oh, I'd had okay. a little seven metre by seven metre square garden, which was crammed packed with lots of things. And all my spare time was taken up by either walking in the countryside or reading books about gardening and right. about plants. And we gave it a go, really. Fantastic, because, I... I mean, in London, like you said, presumably there was very little opportunity to do that. No, exactly. So this was sort of something yeah. you were aiming to do exactly. when you came down yeah. to Brighton. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And so then you got bitten by the bug, obviously. Yep. And um, were there particular lecturers there who inspired you at the college? Yeah, well, we're both familiar with one of them, Bridget Saunders. Yes. Who we now know from the Garden House. Yes, in Brighton. from yeah. uh, Plumpton College. She was lecturing Stanford. there. Yeah, yes. she was a very inspirational figure and still is. Yes. Um, a, a great plants woman, a very enthusiastic and generous uh, sharer of ideas and plants. Mm. Um, and actually... Having someone like that um, is able to, you know, it brings the subject alive, really. Yes. And Stanmer was a, you know, still is a, a, a great resource. Mm. Um, you've got quite a, a complex site with lots of, lots of different facilities. 
you know, lots of plants there to see. They've mm. got a historic old shrub border, an ancient, uh, not an ancient, but a, a Victorian, I think, shrub border mm-hmm. um, from which you can propagate. And just seeing those things and getting used to those things really gives you a, a good start, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. So you're soaking up the enthusiasm yeah. from everyone else. Mm. And then what happened? Where? Well, one of the things that um, Bridget and Jim at um, uh, the college was were very good at were taking us out on uh, visits or s- asking us what we wanted to do mm-hmm. uh, to you know, broaden our experience. And one of the trips we did was out to Pure Plants, a nursery up at Black Boys, which I mentioned earlier. Black Boys? I don't, I've never heard of Pure no, Plants, actually. Yeah, I know you it's said closed it's closed now, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. Where, where was that then? Where's so Black- it's only about uh, 20 minutes up the road from here. OK. Uh, it's probably about 45 minutes to an hour from Brighton. OK. And uh, it was very interesting to see a very traditionally run nursery. Brian yeah. and Fiona, who ran the nursery, had both herbaceous perennials. They grew trees in the open field that were dug in the winter. Ah. Uh, and they also did a lot of propagation. And in particular, on that day, we went there. We went down to a large uh, concrete barn. And in there, they were doing some very unusual propagation, which... I've never done since. Uh, it's a very rare thing to do in the UK, and that was um, grafting Japanese cherries. Oh. And they had a, uh, a hot pipe system, and they were uh, they'd waxed the top uh, graft onto the the root graft, and it was just fascinating. Yes. Something I'd never experienced before, and to see a small um, nursery like that. Um, trying to propagate as much of their own material as possible and trying some of these uh, quite unusual techniques uh, was very interesting. And subsequently to that, um, uh, I pestered them a number of times (laughs) to ask them for some work experience and finally they relented. Right. Um, I think I, in the end I said, if, if you don't offer me a job or uh, offer me a placement, I will keep coming back until you do, uh, in a rather threatening manner. But eventually they did give in, um, and it was a great experience really, because you get, in a nursery like that, you get an all-round education. Yeah. And sadly, uh, after a few years, they decided it was an exhausting way of life. Yes. And uh, it closed. Yes, yeah. But you, you'd had your experience oh, there yeah. by then. Yeah, and not just they took you on properly at exactly. that point. Yeah. Did they? No, exactly. Yeah. No, <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. We're in your potting shed. We are. I've moved you over to the potting bench. I thought I'd get you to do something practical. <gasps> Very good. Good. So I thought we'd sow some seeds. Lovely. Another um, pair of hands. So you've come to visit here. It's October. It is. It's autumn. Yeah. Uh, and it's quite an important time in the nursery, lots of propagation going on, and one of the most important things we have to do is the sowing of seeds, particularly the ones that need to overwinter. Yes. And so in my rustly paper bag, earlier this month I collected some umbels. Humble umbels. Humble umbels. The umbels are the flowers where I suppose they all meet at one central point, it's a carrot family or parsley family. Right. Uh, this family would include things like astrantias, even the Hattie's pin cushion. Yes. But this is a selenum, uh-huh. selenum velicianum, used to be called selenum tenuifolium. It's a lovely, feathery foliaged, hardy perennial, long-lived plant, and perhaps I'll show you it in the garden in a bit. 
if the rain stops and yes. we can go outside. Yes, we've got lovely raindrops on the on the roof, Good. but that's fine. So uh, I collected these earlier, I've put them in the paper bag and that's just really to dry them out. You okay. want to keep them out of a polythene bag because they'll just get a bit sweaty, they might rot away. Ah, okay. But I don't want these to dry too much. All of the Umble family prefer to be sown fresh. Right. They don't want to dry out over winter. You don't want to leave them until the spring. They've got to get moist and cool so that they start to, I suppose the hormones kick in and they start to germinate. Right. Uh, so what we're going to do is just tip these out of the paper bag. Yeah. Gosh, you've got loads. Far too many, but I'm greedy. Yeah, well. And you can see there, it's a carrot family, and you can see there already underneath the old flower stems, yeah. uh, there's lots of seed. There's loads more than enough seeds, yeah. that we need. Do you pick them dry, Paul? The what I tend to look for uh, is both the, uh, the seed has got to germinate and some of the flower heads, the seed are just too small. Mm. Uh, I don't mean germinate, I mean they've got to be pollinated and they've got to form. Some of the seed were just far too small, so I should have ignored that head. Okay. But I look for large seeds appearing and then I look for the stems to start to go yellow. Uh -huh. And once the chlorophyll has gone out of the stems, you can make the basic assumption that actually it's not feeding the seed anymore. Yeah. And then you collect them. Oh. I tend to collect them whenever I'm passing, because if you don't do it when you're passing, you forget. It won't happen. Uh, so, <laughs> into the paper bag, they've been stored. Now we can just knock a few of them off onto right. the newspaper. Oh, right, yeah. They come off nice and easily, don't they? Very they look easy like to... very tiny sort of oats in a way, don't they? Little yeah, rolled oats. they're quite... I think they tiny, must be tiny. flat. That, yeah. yeah, they are flat, aren't they? Flat, and I, I wonder whether that enables them to be carried by the wind a little bit, perhaps. Oh. But anyway, there yeah. we are. So uh -huh. we've brushed off plenty of seed. We'll put those to one side. Uh-huh. And then we're going to sow these direct onto the surface of some compost. And these pots, what size are the pots you're putting them into? Well, it doesn't really matter what size you put them into, but I always choose exactly the same size pot. It's easy for handling, so all of my seed gets sown into this size, which is three inch or nine centimetre square pots. Okay. You could choose bigger or smaller. Yeah. But the benefit, I think, of doing them all in a consistent size and having some sense of how many seed you put in each pot, depending on the size of the seed, yes. it means that they can all be consistently watered in the same volume. If you've got little pots and big pots, they'll dry out at different rates. Of course, yeah. And I think having, I've got 18 there, all the same size. Yeah. And I'm going to sow direct on the surface. And my compost, actually. Yeah. I can move away from the microphone slightly. My yeah. compost is a fairly open, mm. it's a proprietary compost. Oh. And I've mixed in there grit and vermiculite. It's fairly open, right. almost crunchy to the feel. Yes, so it's just a multi-purpose compost with some... Uh, how much grit and vermiculite would you say? Oh, it's, it's probably about a quarter of grit and vermiculite yeah. and to 75% compost, yeah. Oh, okay, I want right. it to be free draining because yes. if the seeds start to germinate, I want yeah. the roots to go down and not to sit in a puddle. Yeah. I don't want the seeds to rot off. No. Lovely, okay. So, and you've filled your pots quite full, haven't you? Yeah, there's a little bit of space on the top. Yeah. Because what we're going to do is, and you can grab a handful, yeah. just very gently, just sprinkle a few over the surface, mm -hmm. not too densely. No. Because if they all germinate, then they'll be too clustered together. Yes. And I've probably got, uh, in a three-inch square pot, I've probably got about 20 seeds on there. That looks perfect. 
Right, yeah. good. So let's assume that half of those germinate, that would be a good rate of germination, might even be higher. Mm. If they do all germinate, then those seedlings will come up and if it's denser than that, they'll be so close together that there'll be no air, air circulation and you can get moulds and mildews and damping off and before you know it, all your hard work has gone to waste. Okay. So it's better to have fewer rather than too many yeah i mean i think that's the for the inexperienced gardener like myself yeah. that's the you're always sort of thinking oh i'll put a few more in i'll mm. just chuck a few because mm. to give you some mm. more chance of success but that's really yeah. worth knowing isn't it i must admit i do sometimes do that there are some plants which i find very difficult to germinate oh. um and I think I then sow them more thickly, knowing that some of them probably aren't going to sprout. Yeah. Um, but the danger is if you go too far. Yeah. Uh, and then you, all that hard work, and then it becomes too late. Yes. Because these have to be sown fresh, all of the humble family hate drying out, uh. and they need to be sown whilst they're relatively newly collected from the garden. If I sow these and then they all damp off, I've got no seeds to go back to. They mm. will have dried out too much. Yes, yeah. So yeah. this is our only chance to get it right, right really. Okay. So I'd prefer to sow more pots with fewer seed yes. than few pots with lots of seed. Okay, and it's knowing your plant too, isn't it? Obviously knowing what, yeah. how, yeah. Great, okay. And then the only other thing left to do really with the pot is I want to cover the seed. Now, a lot of these seeds require a lot of light for germination and this, uh, the selenium requires a little bit of light as well. But, I need to be able to look after it longer term and what I tend to do is to use a coarse grit and I've got some grit in the bucket yeah I've sieved it to take out the fine particles and all I'm going to do is lay a little bit of grit over the surface and the idea being that that presses the seed down onto the compost that will keep the seed moist yes. it will stop the surface drying out okay but also if you look closely light will also penetrate down to the seed okay. so hopefully the seed will have the joint benefit of light and moisture and this is just a horticultural grit whatever is grit you can okay. get your hands oh, okay. on really this and is, is there a, any sand in there well it's a horticultural grit that has a mixture of fine particles and large particles and i use that a lot in the compost mix uh -huh. to provide drainage yeah. i use it in the garden for breaking up the clay soil yeah um but in this case, because I want the light to be able to penetrate, I've used a sieve or a riddle to take out the fine particles. Yeah. And I've scattered that in compost. Right. I've kept the bigger particles and put those on top okay. of the seed. There we are. Lovely. So okay. if you want to put some grid on yours. Sort of a small small fistful. Exactly. Yeah. Just enough to cover the soil, isn't it? As you Exactly. And that, when doing. I water that in a minute. Yeah. The worst thing that you can do is water it heavily and then the seeds jump out when the water jumps in. Right. So the grit actually weighs it down nicely. Ah. Do some people use vermiculite to yes. do this? Why, why would they do that? Vermiculite is great. It's oh. very good at letting the light through. Yeah. Um, it's very lightweight. Yeah. Uh, uh, so the seeds will germinate through it. Yes. It's a very open structure. My slight problem with vermiculite is that over a long period of time it can get very squidgy. I don't know, don't know whether it's rotting or whether it just attracts moisture, but these seeds we're sowing in October and they're probably not going to germinate until March, April. Oh, really? So okay. I don't want those to start rotting away. No. And the benefit of the grit is that it provides good, sharp drainage and allows air, light uh, into the seeds and Lovely. they're not going to rot off. Okay, thank you. Yeah. One final step left to do. <gasps> Very Never important. Never forget the label. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll write a label. Yeah. 
good luck with this one. Uh, Selenum. Selenum and they change the name, the they, Devils. Uh, oh, they're always changing names. And I always like to put the date on. So I'll just put the month and the year. And uh, I'm just noting down that we've sown two pots. Okay. Month and the year, second of two pots. There we are. And now, what happens to them? All we're going to do is put it outside in the cold. There's a whole group of plants uh, that require what's called cold moist stratification. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do is replicate their natural uh, existence, the, the process that they would go through in winter. Right. If I go and put this now inside the polytunnel, it's going to stay relatively dry, relatively humid and relatively warm all winter. Yeah. There's a danger I might protect it from frost. And actually this plant probably won't mind about that. This would still germinate. Yeah. But there's a lot of plants, and I've got another bag here. Yeah. There's a lot of plants that require this cold period to stimulate their growth. Yes. And that cold period might, on some seeds, it might, the frost might uh, break open the seed coat to allow moisture in. Uh -huh. Or it might actually just trigger the hormones in the embryo and trigger that to start germinating. Right. Uh, this seed here is Gilenia trifoliata. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful little white flower, not often grown, too rarely grown, but it's a dead easy plant to grow. Right. Uh, white flowers uh, in the summer, autumn colour, tolerates a lot of dry conditions, tolerates a lot of shade. I love this plant uh. and it's easy to grow from seed. Yeah. And perhaps uh, we'll have a quick look at one of the flower heads in the paper bag. He says rustling away. Yeah, we'll move these out of the way. And you can just hide the previous seeds. Oh, very clever. Turn the page on the newspaper. And just inside the, the flower head, there's a small orange seed there. Oh. And if you squeeze it with your nail, it's quite firm. So I've killed that seed, but I know there's good potential seed, in there. Mm -hmm. And what we can do, perhaps, is try and sort some seed. Okay. I suppose what you've got there is the calyx, that was the bit behind the flower petals, right? behind the white flowers, and inside the remnants of the seed. You've got a little orange, little bronzy orange seed yeah. in there, and we're going to sow those again on the surface of the compost. Right. Gosh, you have to work for these yeah. though, don't you? These ones, they don't right. just fall out. The, I'm making this sound very complicated really. There's, If you... Um, follow a few basic rules with your seed germination. Yeah. I would always try and sow annuals in spring because they want warmth. Right. They want a relatively late start. They're yeah. not going to survive any cold winters, so I sow my annuals in spring. Those are the half-hardy annuals, exactly. you mean? Yeah. 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 Uh, but I tend to sow perennials earlier in the year. Right. In the wild, they're able to survive cold weather. Yes. The seed probably germinates either in the autumn or the spring. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, but we keep them outdoors to mimic that cold right. moist. So not even in a cold frame, they just sit outside. They do actually. I have them in uh, a rather neglected corner of the garden. Okay. Behind the polytunnel, so they're not blown away by the wind. Yeah. And I just stack them up in trays. Yeah. You could, if you wanted in your own garden, is put a little bit of mesh over them to keep the squirrels off or the mice off. <laughs> yes. 
yes. which will go for seed if, they, if they're mm. able to. Yeah. Um, but they're outdoors all winter. And right. all I do is maybe once a fortnight, just go and check on the pots and see if there are any little babies germinating. Oh, okay. And you know, as soon as one or two of the seeds in the pot have started to germinate, yeah. they've probably had adequate cold. Mm. Uh, they've been uh, able to start the germination process. Then I tend to bring them indoors and okay. that protects them bring them un into the polytunnel, protects them from uh, maybe eating by slugs and snails once they've germinated, and I can keep a better eye on them. Right. So just that's, I mean, they don't need to be in there for warmth or anything like that, really, do they? No, these they, are hardy perennials, they so they could, they could easily stay out. But, and but if you were <laughs> Exactly. And if you were growing, uh, let's say, trees from uh, seed, yeah. uh, you could easily grow them in a, in a cold frame, right. uh, in, a, in a tray behind the shed. But it's being able to keep the predators off. Yes. Keeping mice off before they've germinated and keeping the slugs off um, before they've grown that hard coat of a mature plant. Yes, you against the elements really, isn't it? It's that countryside. <laughs> We're always trying to keep the countryside out. Brilliant. OK, I've got Good. some seeds. So the, same, right. the process would be exactly, exactly the same the for same. these. Yep. Sow them on the top. How many would you go more for more or less with um, this kind of plant? Uh, similar, I think. Absolutely similar. Okay. So about 20. Yeah, about 20 on that size on pot. Top. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. Not too many, not too few. You you don't let these seed themselves in your garden then. I mean, I know you're doing it for propagation purposes mm. for because you want to grow plants to sell, mm. but in your own garden you'd rather have that control. Uh I like a little bit of self-seeding. Yeah. Um it self-seeding creates both a natural look to the garden. Yeah. It can do the hard work of germinating for you. Yes. Uh, I was looking earlier today. I've got uh, some Lunaria, the Honesty. It's a biennial germinating in the garden, and there seems to be rather a lot in one space. And I was thinking I might dig up a few of those and try and sell those next year. Um, but I also like self-seeding, really, because sometimes you can get some very interesting cultivars arise. Oh. So if you get hybridisation between different types of plants... Yeah. Uh, different colours, different forms, different sizes. You might get something very interesting. So sometimes something pops up and you don't, don't even notice it's there until this unusual flower colour appears. Oh, okay. Has that it's, ever happened to you? Uh, very occasionally. Nothing sufficient yet to earn me my first million. Oh, shame. Yeah, but no, it's, it's a yeah. good idea to allow a bit of self-seeding. Yeah. There's no yeah. harm in it. Yeah. Um, it's only a plant in the wrong place. Yes. You could always move it. Something like the selenum or the galenia, if you get self-seeding of that, they're almost certainly going to turn out to be identical to what you've already got yeah. and they'll create an almost natural look to mm. your border. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On the back of all that, what, what are your top five suggestions for easy-ish plants for people to have a go at? These, these hardy plants that you're talking about, what could we have a go at and hope for some success? Five. Well, you no. certainly have a tall order. Five suggestions. Two or three, then. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, well, at this time of year, we're obviously sowing a lot of seed. Um, I've taken a lot of cuttings already this year uh, of uh, some uh, shrubs. Yeah. So I've done some um, hydrangeas. You can take the soft greenwood cuttings off of there. I did that really in September time. Mm. If it feels relatively soft to the touch, I've taken a few cuttings of those taken them into polytunnel they'll be rooting as we speak ready for growing on next year okay that's a good way of uh, increasing the quantity of uh, any hardwood plants that you want to grow yeah uh, at this time of year the soil is still warm 
So if you want to increase the number of some of your herbaceous perennials, it's a good time to do divisions. Uh So you could put two forks back to back and start ripping apart those large herbaceous plants. It might be uh, Helleniums, for instance, which would root at this time of the year. Uh, I've been digging geraniums uh, for propagation for resale because they're putting on roots at this time of the year. Yeah. You might do geums as well. Okay, that so lovely... those are the clump forbing Yeah, exactly. You... Yeah. you just got to imagine, we're, it's raining out there at the moment. Yeah. All that moisture in the garden and the warmth of the soil that's still in there from the summer is going to be perfect for those to get a head start for next year. Mm. If you leave it till the spring, the soil is going to be cold and they'll be a little bit slower to get, get restarted. Right, okay. So take divide, divide them now yep. and then and plant them elsewhere in your garden lovely but what about the seeds for instance that we were doing which of those if one wanted to have a a try at that Uh, what would be good ones you've you've obviously got to sow um, all your uh, umbels early so I mentioned things like astrantias Um, but what else would I be sowing that's a very tricky question at this time of the year Um, any others that you're collecting seeds? I'm collecting from? a lot of seeds at this time because they're, they're getting damp now in the garden. Yeah, yeah. So I both want them to ripen from the sun, yes. but if they're starting to get too damp, it's going to be very difficult to control them. Um, but some of those I won't sow now until the spring. No. Some of the grasses, for instance, that I grow from seed, very, very fine little air-pollinated seeds, uh, I don't want to put those... Uh, outdoors in the cold and the wet all winter because they may rot away so I'll hold those back and I'll sow those in spring along with the uh, half hardy annuals. Right okay but Mm. hardy annuals we can have a go at and the hardy perennials. And one other thing we might have a go at at this time of year um, are root cuttings. Uh, I've uh, earlier today I dug up a, a pulmonaria that's the lungworts yes so they have lovely spring flowers um, they have spotted leaves hence the lungwort um, and uh, you can dig those and divide those at this time of year that's very easy if you want to multiply them in the garden mm-hmm. a lot of spring flowering plants are putting down roots and uh, expanding and growing now ready for their flourish in the spring mm. uh, but what I will also do is once I've dug them is trim off some of the uh, fleshy roots and lay them out on the surface of some compost and they will start to root through the winter in the polytunnel and I'll have mass produced uh, the lungworts. It's, it's magic really isn't it? It's good fun actually you all, and, and it's trial and error you yeah. always make a few mistakes but if you keep learning from your mistakes yeah. and I think if people are wanting to do more propagation actually getting out there and trying it a yeah. little bit of book reference a little bit of uh, talking to experts if you need to yeah. but trying it and the yeah. more you do it and the more you learn from your mistakes, because I've made plenty of mistakes. I think that's the reassuring thing, is to yeah. know that experts make yeah, mistakes yeah. too. Oh, well, seed sowing in particular, happen. I used to find seed sowing a nightmare. And I think it was because I was too cautious and oh. I would tend them too much and I would water them too much. Of course, if the seed hasn't germinated, it's not very thirsty, is it? It's not put any legs down. Yeah. And I think I was overwatering them and they were rotting away. Oh. But just holding back a bit, perhaps getting busier and neglecting them a bit more, and I was starting to have more success. Excellent. Okay. Yeah. A bit more courage is what we uh, need. Uh, Fear yeah. less. Fear less. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. Okay, we'll go for it. We're standing in the garden now, getting l- lovely. We're going to grow enormously because we're getting watered by all this rain. Um, and you've got 
a lot of trees in your garden. I noticed the birches coming in. Mm. Uh, Betula. Jack Monty. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, we're lucky to have a lot of space. Um, we're, this, it's in the village of Lawton, which is uh, in the high weald, or the low weald, I suppose, of uh, uh, East Sussex. We're on a heavy clay. And we're in an area that's uh, quite exposed to the winds from the South Downs. There's a lot of open fields yes. uh, south of us. Yes. And one of the th first things I needed to do, both following the advice of people who say you plant trees as soon as you get into the garden because you want to experience them growing, you've got to give them a head start. Yes. But one of the first few things we did was to plant trees and hedges. And that's starting to create, I suppose, a shelter belt yes. for the rest of the garden. And really in the first couple of years, trying to grow herbaceous plants in the garden, they were almost being blown out of the ground. And you think, well, there isn't a, a, a decent view here. We don't have a view. Anyone who has a view knows there are winds. And yes. I didn't think it was going to be that windy. Yes. But it really wasn't until the hedges started to establish and the trees came into their own that it's really started to fill to the wind. Right. And because we've got space, I've been able to multi-plant some of these trees. There's a yes. little collection of uh, Betula jacmontii. They're a bit commonplace, but lovely uh, zinging white bark oh, at this time of the year. Beautiful. Yeah. And also, this is a great time of year for autumn colour. Yes. Um, I've got... We've just walked underneath a wonderful ash. Mm. It's uh, called the claret ash because oh. it's red in colour. Unusually, most ash go just a pale yellow before they drop their leaves. But this is an unusual seedling. Oh. It's widely grown now. Uh, it's uh, Fraxinus angustifolia raywood, the claret ash. Oh. And it has lovely yellow, orange, even plummy tones. Mm. And then, just as you think it's looking brilliant, all the leaves drop off in one go. So it's only a very <laughs> short effect, but it is a very nice effect. Yes. Uh, and I've also got, next to that, there's a little crab apple. Um, it's Malus transitoria. It's a very broad, open, spreading crab apple. Uh-huh. And I mentioned pure plants to you earlier. Yes. And I first saw that there at the nursery, and they have one just inside the gate. And to see that now, it's just coming into its yellowy autumn colour. Um, it, and to see it later in winter when it's covered in the tiniest, tiniest little crab apples in bright yellow. Oh. It looks like it's been decorated like a Christmas tree. Yes. And it's one of my most favourite trees. Oh, right. Well, I, I've never heard of Transitoria. No, yeah, I mean, you know, the a, Everest, you know, and things. It, I know. I'm so they would be others, hybrids. But, ah. uh, this is a species tree. Ah. It's, it's not it, hugely rare, but it's a very beautiful little tree. Yes. And what with, sort of height would that grow to, do you think? Uh, I don't know, uh, five or six metres. Oh. Its main problem for a small garden is that it's almost as broad as it is tall. Oh. And that's perfect for that spot where I've got it because you have to duck in underneath it to get yeah. into the garden. Yeah. So it creates quite a dramatic effect. Yes. Um, but for the small garden, I think it might take over. Right, okay. Another favourite tree we're stood right in front of now yeah. is the uh, Parotia persica. That's the uh, Persian ironwood. Right. Very rare tree in its native habitat. I think it's from northern Iran. There's an area, I think, which has um, lots of rare endemic species that wouldn't be found anywhere else in the world, and this is one of them. Um, but, of course, it's got such beautiful autumn colours mm. and such lovely, almost pleated leaves mm. that it's widely planted. Yeah. Um, 
you'd see this at Sheffield Park, which is a lovely uh, autumn colour uh, garden, not so very far from here. Yes. Um, and I love it. We don't really have a very strongly acid soil, which is important for creating autumn colour, but the parotia still does give us some interesting tones. Yes. And we're looking at a leaf now where the central part is still green. Yes. And you've got reds and yellows, almost as the green drains out of the leaf. The autumn colour is actually as the chlorophyll is drawn back or is uh, eroded in the tree just as it gets its winter colour. Okay. And so gradually, I mean, it's just the tips at the moment that have yeah. uh, beginning to turn, but gradually it must the whole yeah. bush must look as if it's caught fire. It's almost like traffic lights because at any one point in time you've got red, amber and green, green. on the yeah. same tree. Again, perhaps not ideal for a very small garden, but yeah. it's a multi-stemmed, it's a very interesting tree. Yes. Uh, it wouldn't get huge, but it does need a, a lot of space. Yes. Lovely. Beautiful thing. Great. Good. Should we move over? Yeah. We've just talked about the seeds and the, you know, what you'd like to suggest would be great for propagation. What about plants to go in at this time of year? What would be your top picks? Well, plants for interest at this time of year, one of the most important ones for me uh, is miscanthus. Right. Uh, it's a hardy grass, it's a clump-forming grass, uh, miscanthus sinensis. This form that you see in front of you now is a dwarfing form. It's called miscanthus yakushima dwarf. Right. Uh, it is grown here in my garden as a hedge. Yes, it's, uh, it runs right the way well. Quite a long, long yeah. a long way along the border, doesn't yeah, it? Twenty feet of yeah. miscanthus. You're not seeing it at its best light. We're in the rain. Yes. And the feather, soft feathery plumes are a little bit damp, but it's standing up to the weather. It is. It stands up to the wind. This is the windward side of the garden okay. and creates a nice little shelter belt for the herbaceous plants behind. Yes. And I love it. And really, I suppose it'd be worth mentioning that uh, I grew to love these both at Pure Plants but most certainly at Marchants. Oh. I work now for Graham Goff at Marchants Hardy Plants Yes. and we grow a lot of miscanthus okay. and a lot of late season perennials there but right. miscanthus really would be one of my top picks yeah. for this time it of year. It certainly is beautiful, I mean it's the, the top of it is oh, I mean, certainly five and a half feet tall isn't it? Yeah. And you've got that sort of golden brown, they're not feathery perhaps but no. they're certainly delicate and then this sort of green band underneath from the leaves yeah. um, with a stripe running vertically through them. Yeah, that's one of the distinctive features of Miscanthus sinensis. You get that white banding on the, on the foliage. It's not evergreen. Uh, I will trim this down with a hedge trimmer right down to the ground in probably March. Okay. And then it regrows very quickly. Right. Uh, but it's a great feature for the, for the garden and yeah. I love this shape. Yeah. And it complements the aster really well. Yes. Uh, I've got aster amethystinus kylie leaning through it. Yes. Uh, it's going over a little bit, it's not enjoying the wet weather, but a lovely pinky colour to the flowers. Tiny little flowers. Yes. This is an unusual hybrid between uh, the aster novae angliae and aster ericoides. Uh, and uh, given a good year, we would have some good autumn colour coming on the foliage as well a little oh, bit later. Okay. And in the distance, over yes. there, there's a blue form of it oh, as well. Oh, right. Yes, and I asters see. are a really important plant for the garden at this time of the year. Yes. Uh, I love the asters, uh, particularly uh, Novae Angliae's. And I didn't used to like those. They were seen as a little bit, dare I say it, as an old lady plant. Oh. 
quite traditional and lacking in style, but they mix really well with more contemporary planting styles right. using the miscanthus. Yeah. And perhaps another plant I'll point out while we're here, got fantastic autumn colour over there on a cotinus. That's a smoke bush. Yes. And that's, I don't necessarily go for the most unusual forms of things, but that is quite an unusual smoke bush. Oh. Many people will grow cotinus, cogigria, the plain green one, or perhaps uh, the purple one. This one is an American form. This one is Cotinus obovatus, oh. and the obovatus refers to the egg-like shape of the leaf, and it's renowned for its fantastic autumn colour. It is absolutely beautiful, We've isn't got it? greens and glowing oranges yes, in there. It's almost yes. like a fire yes, that's lit yes, up. Yes, yes, yeah, and the leaves are quite big, aren't they? They are very big, yeah. yeah. And it's a windy garden, so in order to cope with a windy spot on a tree with relatively big, limb, uh, big leaves, and quite weak stems, mm. uh, I pollard that every year, and that is I cut it down to about chest height every year, right. and that growth that you see there now is up to about 20 feet tall, yeah. is the growth of one year. Goodness me. Or at least half of that is the really growth of one golly. year. So when you pollard it, what, what is left? Are, are, is it multi-stemmed? Or? Yeah, it is, it is actually a multi-stemmed shrub right. or small tree. Right. Um, but I go back to the same cuts roughly each year at yeah. about chest or shoulder height. It gives, allows plenty of light underneath the plant mm. for herbaceous plants to grow and sends up these soft uh, willowy stems mm. which cope well with the wind rather than thicker branches which can snap. Oh, yeah. Um, and it also promotes more stems. What I don't want is a woody tree. No. I want a nice open, airy tree with more leaves yeah. and more autumn colour. Lovely. And when, sorry, when would you do that? In Did winter. Say, in the winter, pollard. Yeah. Okay, good. Wow. Yeah. Okay, great. Good. Onward, ever onward. Should we have another? Yeah, let's go. So we've got a little cluster here of... Uh, seven or eight silver birch. Yes. And it's, I think of this little spot in the garden, we're in another section with hornbeam hedges blocking uh, the different areas off. Mm. I think of this as rather like the sorbet course. We've got a, quite a busy garden there in early summer. Yes. We're about to go through to a part of the garden that has a lot of late summer colour. And this is clean and green and calm. Yes. And it means from the end of the house, I can see the silver birch all the way through the winter. Yes. And when the rest of the herbaceous border is flat and calm yeah. and there's nothing there, yeah. all, I can still see uh, the wonderful silver birch. Yeah, gorgeous. Lovely. And places to sit as well. Exactly. So now I can see we're in front of a beautiful display of... I don't know how to say this word. Hucura? Huchira? No, Hucura. I say Hucura, you say Huchira. Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> Let's call it off. Yeah. So this is Hucura villosum. Right. And it's a form called Autumn Bride. Yes. It's October and it's still in flower. Yes, it's looking fabulous. It's isn't a big it? plant. It's yeah. at least, I don't know, a metre wide, a metre tall. Right. Uh, it's in a sheltered part of the garden. Yeah. Behind a little hedge. Got a little bit of shade underneath an amelanchier. Ah. Uh, we've got good rich soil and we've got these big billowy panicles, these long columns of white flower above broad leaves that are at least six to nine inches wide. Yes. The villosum means hairy. Ah, there are lots of plants that use the, okay. the suffix villosum, yeah. so Heuchera villosum has slightly hairy leaves. Right. Um, and I love this plant. 
it provides a long season of interest. If people's gardens have, are lacking interest at this time of the year, then you've got your asters, your grasses, but even things like this that you would think of, it's an evergreen plant, it will provide you with interest all year round, but it's peaking at this time of the yes, year. Yes, it does. I mean, all the, you've got a lot, there are some plants, uh, some flower heads that are dying off, but yeah. you've got loads of new ones coming through. Yeah, it just it's keeps going. Gorgeous. It just keeps and going. does it prefer the sun? Do you think, or you you need a little bit of uh, uh, soft light for this plant? It, I think if it's too sunny in the summer, you'll get a yellowing on the leaf. It goes too golden, okay. uh, slightly scorched. But I've got a little windbreak there of the hedge yes. to one side. Yes. I've got a little bit of dappled light. Yeah. It maybe gets direct light for a couple of hours a day, oh. but a sheltered spot is the most important yeah, part. Yeah, lovely. Gosh. And just behind there, behind the amelanchier, yes, this shrub that has now dropped its leaves. There's a cluster of ferns. Now, if you were to ask me one of the key plants for this time of the year, I think this is what you need. This is a polypodium. It's a creeping fern. It sounds like a dinosaur. No, it sounds like an ailment, doesn't it? It does rather. Suffering from polypodes disease. <laughs> yes. But the polypodes, I think, are fantastic, what I would call wintergreen ferns. If you've got a small garden and you've got a dry spot, and you want a bit of winter interest, then the polypodium will provide you with that interest. Uh, it's a slow creeping fern, so it will create ground cover. In the summer, it tolerates no end of drought. Gosh. Uh, when we propagate them in the summer, we're almost digging them from dust. But those little creeping rhizomes store onto a lot of moisture. So when it's wet, they drink it up. And when it's dry, they're able to survive. And we call it wintergreen because that foliage has been on there since about July. And that will last right the way through to May or June time when it starts to look a little bit brown. Yeah. And then I either go in and cut it, or if, like this year, you forget, leave the dry leaves on there, they'll rot down, and the fresh leaves will come up above it. Right. So you've got that winter presence. Gosh, it's got everything, that plant. And what some people think ferns are boring, but that, I, know. I must say it's absolutely beautiful to look at such a vivid green yeah and um, lovely and fed it's got sort of that textural look to it as well it's yeah. lovely and you've got a couple of other ferns with it there's quite a few other ones in there yeah uh, i have a lot of ferns this is a shadier area i've yeah. got hazels and amelanchias and birch trees here just to provide a bit of dappled shade yeah um i much prefer the polypodes because they're very tough plants, but there are a few others in here like the soft shield ferns. They're right. quite drought tolerant as well. So the oh. Polystecum citiferum, the soft shield ferns are quite drought tolerant. Yeah. Um, but I much prefer the polypodes, and I think it's this winter green feature. Yes. Because I don't know if you saw that film recently, um, the Pete Aldoff film. Oh no, I've you, heard about it. You've got to it. see it. He's a very famous designer. Yes. He's known for a lot of, I suppose, prairie planting styles. Yes. There's quite a nice little clip in there where the guy maintaining his garden um, uh, was using a lawnmower and mowing off the border. Well, I like to have my borders to have a little bit more interest, even in winter. Mm. And I think those ferns provide it in buckets. Yeah, gorgeous. Great. And uh, right in front of us now, this plant is one you might be familiar with. It's that Selena. It is, it's that milk <laughs> parsley. So you can almost see tenuifolium, its old name is because the foliage is quite cut. It's 
got a carroty feel to it. Yes. Those upright umbels. Yeah. Dark purple stems. Oh, beautiful. And I'm yeah. glad I collected those seed earlier because look, we've still got flowers on it. It's yes. October. We've still got flowers. Yeah. It's provided a long season of interest, but it's too late now for these flowers to create seed. Uh-huh. I've harvested the best seed off of it. Yes. There's still one or two seed on there. Yeah. But I think we need to just uh, forget that those will uh, create good seed now. Yeah. And right next to it. Oh. A fantastic salvia. Yes, beautiful. Look at that vivid blue. Absolutely there isn't a better blue for this time of the year. Shimmering. And There's something about the autumn light that stimulates our eyes. Yes. And blues and yellows and oranges really sing out. But yes. this is salvia uliginosa. It's a slightly creeping habit. Yeah. Uh, it's an upright plant, late season flower. Mm. And look, just on the side there, perhaps this is something we ought to be doing. We can take these little side shoots off now for cuttings. Ah. So if I want to sell this plant next year, these little side shoots, yes. soft, fresh, yes. ready to uh, manipulate and put in the polytunnel yes. uh, for plants next year. It's a good perennial, it will survive here, but some plants like this, if you were unsure, you could take insurance cuttings. Some yeah. of the tender salvias, like the salvia microphyllas. But I think this one will survive. I might come back a little bit later and take a few cuttings for next year. Okay, lovely. Really is stunning, isn't it? And you've got more grasses in here. What's this one right next to your salvia? It's collecting all the droplets of rain on it and it's sparkling even though it's grey. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful little grass. We talked earlier about the selenum. That has an umbel-shaped flower. Yes. This has a panicle-shaped flower, so you've got this branching effect yes and the name of the grass is named for that flower shape it's a panicum okay sometimes called the panic grass it moves about in the wind ah. it's a north american perennial yeah. lovely golden autumn colors on this yeah. one yeah. i've got some others in the garden that have red tones ah. uh, but quite an airy natural look and is mixing really well with the selenum the salvia and the spent stems of a helenium behind yeah it's a beautiful combination do you know which panicum this one is uh, this one is unknown to me. Excellent. Good. That's good. fine. We can change. I can't remember. I'll skip that bit yeah, out. Good. Let's drop that, good. shall we? Remember. Splendid. But isn't this lovely behind you as well, this one? Another, another miscanthus. Gorgeous. Yeah, a giant miscanthus. That is Strong good. stems. And if you follow me, actually, I'll there's follow one you. with a really good stem so you've come into a central part of the garden again. We're hidden again. Yes. We're surrounded by hedging on four sides. Yeah. I think of this as a late season garden. A lot of perennials in here for uh, September, late August perhaps. We've moved away from the earlier part of the year. And in here behind you is a huge miscanthus. Goodness. That's miscanthus rosy. Oh. She has very rosy leaves. Yes. Uh, it's very upright. Uh, they cope well with the wind. Uh, and you've got those feathery plumes, a little bit damp on a day like this. Yeah, but beautiful. But beautiful autumn colours. And mixing well with that plant. If I said to you, kiss me over the garden gate. I would say, is it a persicaria? It is a persicaria, <laughs> well done. Uh, it wasn't a request to kiss me over the garden gate. It's the common name of persicaria oh, orientalis. Why do they call it that? I think it has this arching habit. Oh, and it leans over, so perhaps as a cottage garden favourite, it would lean out over the garden oh, gate, perhaps. Oh, got it, okay. That, oh, well, who knows where Orientalis. these common names come from. Oh, it's absolutely... Yeah. Is that um, perennial? Or? It's a hardy annual. Annual, is it? So, 
gosh. Inside those uh, rich pink drooping flower heads. Yeah. Uh, little black seeds that will drop into the garden and self-seed. Oh. I also try and collect a few and yes. sell a few as well. But that, yes. because it's a hardy annual, the seed survives the winter, germinates in spring, um, and even if there's a little bit of frost after it's germinated in the spring, it won't do the plant any harm. It will just grow through. Goodness. And in one year, you could probably get them six, seven, eight, nine feet tall on a rich soil. Wow. They've got stems almost like bamboo. They right. stand up to a gale, but perhaps not to heavy rain. No. Uh, but they stand up really well and they provide that zing. Oh, they the are fantastic, aren't they? And they, like you say, go so well with that Miscanthus rosy. And that Miscanthus must be two metres tall. Yeah. It's lovely, yeah. isn't it? Well, Miscanthus as a group can be very tall. There's a oh. hybrid that they use for um, uh, energy generation. You can harvest Miscanthus grass oh. in fields that then goes to power stations and is burnt. Wow. Um, they're very quick growing, but yeah. but clump forming and dead easy to grow in the garden. Yeah. The only maintenance with a miscanthus is to cut it down once a year. Goodness. It's never going to take over your garden no. and provides a good contrast. Unlike bamboo, which can. Yeah, I wouldn't grow it. <laughs> I wouldn't grow it. And what about this dahlia right in front of it? Because again, that colour is so beautiful. Works well with the miscanthus and actually with the persicaria as well. Yeah, this is uh, dahlia uh, Mexican black. Oh. Uh, it's alleged that it's a hybrid between uh, a dahlia and a chocolate cosmos. Uh, on a sunny day, you might get a little bit of a chocolatey or vanilla scent from the flower, but I think it's a bit too wet today for yeah. us to put our noses in there. <laughs> but it's again, it's October, and this has been yes. flowering in this space in the garden since August. Um, so it provides a long season of interest. It is a chunky, big plant, yeah. but it's a reliable, strong grower. That has been in the ground for years. Goodness, has it yeah. really? You don't take it out, no. you just leave it in? It's planted quite deeply. Uh -huh. The only danger with leaving it in the ground is if you get early shoots and a late frost, yeah. or you get greedy slugs. <laughs> so you've got, to, you've got to look at it really in the first few months of spring, yeah. just to keep an eye on it, check that it's not being damaged too much, yeah. and then it's away. Okay, because I mean, I know you say it's been uh, going a long time, but there's more buds to come on this. Yeah. It'll it's keep amazing. going. It'll and keep then it'll going. get hit with the frost. The first frost, it'll turn to mush. Oh, shame. It's still pouring with rain. <laughs> and we, you brought me into the a really quite a big polytunnel here. Well, I suppose at nursery standards, this is a tiny polytunnel. Okay. It's only 30 feet long by about 15 feet wide. Yes. But it's absolutely packed with plants it at really this time of the year. It is packed out. It's a very important time. Autumn is when you're getting plants ready for next year. You're protecting your tender plants. Yes. So there's a lot of propagation going on here. Yes. This is the propagation tunnel. Okay. It's got a slightly milky polythene. Yes. Uh, that's to keep the strong light out in summer so things don't get scorched. Uh -huh. I've got some fabric above us that I can pull across if it gets too hot. Uh-huh. It's not going to get too hot today. Sadly not. And we've also got some uh, benches in front of us. There's yes. a huge amount of space here. Yes. And some of these benches have a heated mat underneath. Okay. So rather like an um, electric blanket you might have at home, with the fabric and the wires winding backwards and forwards underneath the plants, there's one of those mats, but uh, for horticultural purposes. Yes. And uh, there's a little thermostat 
and in cold weather that will click on and just give a little bit of bottom heat to stop some of these tender plants going backwards yes. because what I want to do at this time of the year yeah. and you can see perhaps over to your left there's a load of pelagoniums the silver one is a plectranthus um, we've got a heliotrope uh, we've got geraniums we've got salvias all of these things I've taken little side cuttings off in late summer and early autumn yes. ready to get them a head start for next year okay. um, my ideal scenario is now is that I can keep them growing and alive slowly through winter and then bring them out once the frosts have gone in spring right I suppose you don't want them to grow too quickly because you're going to no. be absolutely overwhelmed with pots. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 space becomes very tricky at this time of the year. And sometimes, I think last year we had quite a mild winter. Uh, we had salvias, like the salvia microphylas. There's lots of famous varieties, I suppose, hot lips or seropatosi uh, mm -hmm. or uh, nachflinder, which is a lovely dark one. Yes. Uh, blue note, which is another rich blue one. Uh, all of those will just keep growing if we keep them too mild and yes. then they overtake their little pots and they need potting up and then I've not got enough space so it's a difficult balance it is yeah and the other aspect is you you might notice that even though this is a propagation tunnel I've got a door open at one end and a window open at the other end because I need some fresh air yes. and I was just checking on some plants earlier a little tray of pelagonium cuttings there they're beginning to damp off oh. I'm getting little um, black botrytis mildews on it. Oh, and that's caused by damp? And that's caused by a lack of air circulation. Ah. I took my cuttings very late and I shouldn't have done yeah. and I put them in this little um, propagation hut which is humid. There's a damp cloth underneath the plants and oh. they've just got too sweaty. Ah. There's not enough air circulation so I very quickly whipped them out. Yes. And even plants that I've um, potted up uh, like the salvia microphylas, the trick is to have plenty of air circulation. Yes. Now, can you imagine the difficulty of the balance in a cold winter? You've got to have air circulating, but you've got to keep them relatively warm, otherwise they'll die. Yes. So it's that balance. They might be in this tunnel for the warmth, but they might be in the next tunnel, which is completely open, oh. more like a cold frame, right. for the fresh air. And but no heated gets, mats. But in no the heated next mats one. in no, there. No. It gets very cold in there. Oh. Now occasionally I might whip out a little bit of fleece to protect them in a really cold night, yeah. but I've got to try and get that balance right. It's just, it's worse than looking after children. It, much worse, <laughs> much worse. And also 24-7 really, because you've got to be aware of the temperatures every yeah. day. Yeah. You, I mean, how do you ever get away on holiday? Yeah, this so. is not an automated nursery by any stretch no, of the imagination. No. And you can imagine these huge scale places where yeah. plants have uh, sensors or they move on trolleys from one area to another depending on what their growth requirements are uh, the only way these plants are going to move is if i pick them up and shift them uh, yes absolutely. Uh, so we've got to keep an eye on them we've got to keep the polytunnel quite clean any yes. waste material we've got to take that out dead leaves because that can create molds and mildews uh, we've got to check that there's no bugs and pests in here no, i noticed a little bit of actually. aphid oh. on one of my plants oh, earlier no. today so it's a bit bit problematic but I think it is really rewarding when you can do it yes. because selling you a plant at a plant fair that you've grown from scratch yes. that you've nurtured as a seedling or a cutting or a division and knowing that that person will get a good quality plant 
that's probably cheaper than a cup of coffee at Costa, yes. but will last them, if they look after it, a lifetime, yes. is a really special feeling, Absolutely. actually. It must be. And also, uh, because it's not, you know, none of it is done by robot or automation. This is all your own meticulous care yeah. and I suppose the other thing the other good thing about it is because you're able to well you have to be so observant um, you pick up everything that's yeah. going and you as wrong. we said earlier you learn from your mistakes yes uh, sometimes if I've kept cuttings in the humid environment too long they will rot off mm. uh, sometimes if I've uh, let the seeds get too wet they will rot off uh, sometimes I have successes with taking cuttings mm. um, uh, a while ago, a famous nursery woman, Liz Strangman, uh, from uh, Washfield Nursery, now retired, mm. uh, she came into Marchants, the nursery that I now work in, yes. uh, work for Graham, uh, Graham Goff at Marchants, and uh, I was showing off a little bit. Uh, she was asking uh, how or whether Graham would propagate a euphorbia for her. She was struggling with it. Now, she is a nursery woman of huge experience. And I was showing off because I'd managed to propagate a very similar euphorbia, uh, euphorbia arenzii, which I grow a lot of, a beautiful orangey-toned euphorbia, uh, and I'd managed to have great success in taking those cuttings. Mm. So uh, I offered to try and do them. Then, of course, inevitably, having popped round to Liz and taken some cuttings off of her prize unique plant, no one else grows this plant, I took the cuttings, Pop them in my little um, propagation hut, this little humid uh, space, and uh, they sat there, and they would not root. They would not root for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I, I was a bit worried. I was going to have to go back, tail between my legs, <laughs> humiliated. Liz, I cannot do this. Yeah. Uh, but the sun came out, it warmed up a bit, and the cuttings perked up, oh. and they rooted, and I managed to get them going. Wonderful. So you can have these successes. Um, but often you learn from your failures. Yes, but that was a good person to impress. Wasn't exactly. It? <laughs> yeah, very much so. Now yeah, your yeah, fame yeah. proceeds. Exactly. You. <laughs> yeah. And actually, if you look around, a lot of the things that you see growing in here, I've learnt from Graham. Graham mm. is uh, a, a hugely experienced nurseryman. He's very generous with his time and his material. Um, I'm always catching little bits of seed or cuttings. And I love reviving a uh, plant. I mean, it, we might be propagating something, let's say, crocosmias, which are grown by corms. Yes. And as you dig them up, they come off in chains. And you take the fresh corm and you pop it in a pot and you grow it on and you sell it. And I thought, I know, we'll save all these old corms with no buds on. And I trade them out and they started to shoot. Mm. And it's fun like that, where you're experimenting yeah. and you're reviving plants. Yes. Old bits of geranium or old bits of root that you think probably won't mount, amount to much. Yeah. But just really trying to uh, innovate and try new techniques, yeah. new ways of taking cuttings, new times of the year to propagate things. Yes. Um, it provides enjoyment, I think. Yeah, again, not being frightened to just no, have a exactly. go and, yeah. you know. I think it's so strange the way, uh, certainly I would say inexperienced gardeners, we are frightened. And I don't yeah. know why, because it doesn't matter, no. does it? But it's yeah. this caution that you have, yeah. you feel. And I mean, what's the worst can happen? It doesn't grow and you have another go with yeah, another exactly. one. So. And I often say that to people who come into the nursery and buy plants, just try it. Yeah. If it's not in the right place, you can lift it and move it. Yeah. And one of the real experiences of that was 
Uh, years ago, Bridget Saunders took us as a group to Dixter and Fergus gave us a little talk and then he uh, gave us some work to do. And we formed this human chain. And what we were doing, this was an August day. It was blisteringly hot, mm. a really hot day mm. in the great Dixter garden. Mm. And Fergus was digging a plant from uh, the stock beds. We were digging it up with a lump of soil around it and we were charging down the garden and we were puddling it into a new spot, bedding out in the garden. Yeah. And this plant thrived, it's dug up in the middle of August. No one else would think of doing that. No. But if you know what you're doing yeah. and you look after it and yeah. give the plant what it needs, yes. a little bit of its existing soil, a lot of moisture, yeah. and pod Quick, puddling quickly. it quickly yeah. and putting it back into the garden, yeah. it will be absolutely great fine. Great lesson, brilliant, yeah, lovely. So uh, how did you come to work for Graham Goff? Because Marchant's Hardy Plants is a big name, isn't it, in nurseries? I think it's yeah. very well-renowned. Well, it was so. after I'd uh, uh, finished working at Pure Plants. Yes. Pure Plants was closing down. I lived local to Marchant's, very close by, and I went in asking for some work. And again, I pestered and eventually he gave in. And I, I've been there quite a few years now. I pester him every day about something or other. I'm sure he's sick and tired of the sight of me. But uh, we get on quite well. Yes. And I think yes. uh, over the years, we've got to know how each other works. Mm. And I'm excited to say that actually from next year, mm. I'll be running the nursery. And that's going to give Graham a chance to spend more time in the garden. Right. And we found over the years that the garden has become much more of a stock bed than a display garden. It's inevitably there to provide material for the nursery. Yes. But it's always played second fiddle to the nursery, which draws in the income. Yes. And I think what we really want to be able to do is to give Graham more chance to be more creative in the garden yes. and give him an opportunity to spend more time in there and do what he loves and that is to create a garden Lovely, and yeah. uh, it's a fantastic resource that garden it's yeah. a great display garden for the uh, plants that we sell on the nursery yes uh, but hopefully in the next few years it will be uh, go from strength to strength. Absolutely, and then will be even more a, a sort of an advert, if you like, for the plants exactly. that you're selling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what a wonderful, um, a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity, but it's also a really great endorsement of the way uh, him and I, uh, he and I have got on over the years, yeah. and a really a good kind of pat on the back for the work that, that I've been doing, and Hannah, who works there as well, He's going to give us the freedom to actually uh, run that nursery with a little bit of uh, guidance and steering from him now and again. Yes. And I think it will give us a little bit more freedom um, to maybe bring in some new plants and mm. do a few things slightly differently. Lovely. Have you got ideas or are you not ready to sort of... You're still... Are, they, are those still in... Um, uh, oh, yeah, still... At they're the, still in the potting shed in your brain. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll keep those in my brain for the okay. moment. <laughs> keep them under wraps for now. Good. Brilliant. Everywhere you go, which geranium's that one? That's geranium Phaeum lisa. Oh, isn't it lovely? Yeah, I, I love it. I find that plant so difficult to sell. Geranium Phaeums I love. They're yeah. the morning widows. Yeah. They uh, provide these long arching stems of nodding flowers. There's a famous one called Samabor, which I think was a, a Liz Strangman find in oh, uh, Yugoslavia, it? I think. Oh, gosh. So there are lots of famous varieties out there. This one is called Lisa. Um, and I love it really at this time of the year and winter because what some people forget is on a good soil uh, a geranium phaeum when it's cut down after flowering will provide regrowth 
and will provide foliage all through winter. And this one has, and I'm not a huge fan of variegation, but this one has a bright limey colour, particularly good in low light levels at this time of the year, mm. and just provides a bit of zing it in the really garden. It really does. And unlike some variegated plants, it's a good strong grower. You've got these little red markings on oh, the leaf yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, come out here on a winter's day and yes. that will look beautiful. Yeah, it looks lit, doesn't it? Mm. Lovely. Oh, my and word, so... goodness me, look at this. Yeah. <laughs> so now so, we're in the other polytunnel. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, a funny time of the year because it's autumn as I keep saying. Yeah. And at this time of the year we're beginning to um, put some plants into their final pot sizes. We're beginning to bring in some plants from outdoors to protect them from getting too wet and too cold in winter. Yeah. And we'll store those in a dormant, cool, almost cold frame environment. This polytunnel is open at both ends. We've got plenty of air circulation. We're not going to get moulds and mildews in here. No. The only problem that we might get is it might get too cold. So it tends to be the hardier plants in here. Okay. Right in front of you, that favourite plant that I mentioned earlier. This is uh, Euphorbia arenzii. Uh, it's a hybrid between, um, uh, I think it's got Euphorbia griffithii in it, which is has, a, has orange flowers to it. This one also has orange flowers. Um, take, cuttings taken in summer, it's now growing, what is it, two or three feet high. Yeah, and that will get huge. cut down before spring. You cut Re these plants yep. down, do you? Ready for, for uh, creating fresh growth, ready for sale in the spring. Do you repot these now, or you'll they I'm stay? Hope that's in a, a, a final pot size now. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's just gone into that final pot size. I'm using this uh, late season growth here to help it create roots ready for next year. Mm. But you can also see further on that there are some baby geraniums that I've propagated ready for next year. There's some napita cuttings that are well and truly rooted, ready yeah. for potting on in the spring. There are a lot of grasses here that will are evergreen and will grow all through winter. They'll put on plenty of root now and then when I bring them out in the spring they'll be uh, full and lush and ready for sale. Fantastic. But there are also one or two tender things yes. here as well. Yes. Um, that tall plant there is um, Hadicium tara. Ah. Hadiciums are relatives of ginger. It's a ginger lily. In the garden we'll have this tall orange flower and I'm just waiting for that to go dormant now. Um, it's in a cool polytunnel, it will start to turn yellow and die back. Then I'll cut it down and store it in somewhere mild uh, over winter, ready for potting on in the like spring. Like where? where? What sort of place would you store well, it? Well, you can treat... Uh, what we're trying to do is to keep the rhizome, the, the uh, fleshy root, uh, intact, ready for the buds to reshoot next year. Mm -hmm. So I'll treat it almost like I would a dahlia tuber, I'll put those in trays, yeah. I'll hide them under the bench next door in complete darkness. Okay. They can go completely dry as far as I'm concerned right. and they'll stay dormant and safe all winter. If I left that out in a plastic pot in the cold and the wet, that would rot away. Yeah. In the garden it will be fine because it will be under the soil surface and the little uh, buds ready for next year won't see the frost. Mm. Rather like a dahlia in the ground will be fine. But if you leave it in a pot outdoors, it can freeze all the way around. Yeah. 
And I suppose it's less likely to rot in the soil here because it's quite warm. I mean, we're far south, aren't we, in the country? And it's a mild part of the country. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't grow that in the highlands. No. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you could imagine on the west coast of Britain, uh, in an exotic garden, those hedicums would look, would look lovely. Yes, absolutely. Wonderful. Wow. Well, it's certainly packed in here. Oh, We're it'll get a, a more full than this. There's quite a lot of space un under the benches. Oh, right. All this will be full soon. Wow. I'll bring in. There's a lot of plants still left unsold from this year uh, that I'll use for propagation for next year. Mm -hmm. And I'll want to bring them in just to keep them slightly drier. Mm. We've had a month of rain now, and some of those plants are sitting in quite moist pots. Yes. And if it stayed like that all winter, yeah. they could uh, rot away. We're back in your shed, and it's stopped raining. So, <laughs> so you've, you've, yes, uh, you've had a change of career. You've come into gardening, and um, found a path that you particularly like. You're obviously very um, enthusiastic about plants, propagating them. How, how, and why do you keep motivated uh, with it all? And what, what does it give you this garden? Well, I, I suppose. The practical side of this is that the garden provides the resource which keeps the business going. Uh, the garden is uh, mainly a stock bed from which you take cuttings, collect seed or lift and divide, ready to create plants for resale. But over the years, um, you can see your own successes and failures. And on a daily basis, you get a reward from that. Mm. Um, it's back to that point that we mentioned earlier, where if you just try something and you learn from your mistakes, you gain an experience from it. And the practical process of doing it, uh, the um, creativity that you get. I mean, how many of us really have an opportunity to be creative in our normal day-to-day -day lives? Mm. We might do it as a hobby. Mm. We might uh, paint or draw or stitch. But actually to have in a day-to-day -day job an area where you can be quite creative. And it may only be the positioning of a plant or the layout of a garden or the contrast and the juxtaposition between different tones and textures and flower types. Uh, but it's a very rewarding process, actually, to um, create a garden and get some sense of achievement from it. Mm. And I'm a... Gen uh, Hannah, who I often work with at Marchants, calls me a closet optimist. <laughs> I'm a glass-half-empty kind of person when you first meet me, but actually... Um, and perhaps when I show people around the garden, I'm all too prone to point out the areas where I think it could be better. Mm. But actually, over the years, you enjoy your successes. Mm. And there are lots of things in the garden where I've seen things grow and establish and succeed where I thought perhaps they wouldn't. Mm. And there are areas where I've changed them and mm. got a sense of reward by improving it. Uh, there are areas where I've completely uh, removed things that I've done and, and refreshed them. Mm. Um, and there are areas where nature takes over and you can see um, things that you wouldn't have thought of doing yourself. The self-seeding plants that you mentioned earlier mm. uh, being one example. So it's a, a very, I think it's a, the, a, a very creative uh, side that perhaps I didn't know I had. Yes. Uh, having an academic or economics background, yes. uh, given the opportunity to be creative in this way, is, is good fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, lots of people nowadays are, are um, sort of 
uh, talking about the therapeutic benefits of gardening too, aren't mm. they? And mm. uh, how essential it is to get everybody outside, really. Yeah. Um, so. Well, I don't have any problem sleeping at the end of the day, I can <laughs> no. tell you, because the quantity of fresh air and the physical work <laughs> and the length of the day yeah. um, is absolutely exhausting. And yes. I think we're talking in autumn, it's the end of my season. Uh, I'm pretty knackered, let's yeah. be perfectly honest. Um, but now is a time really for log fires and puddings and reflecting on what changes you're going to make in the garden over winter, ready for next year. Mm. We're beginning to put the plants to bed. We're beginning to sow seeds that need to be sown. We've taken our insurance cuttings. Uh, we're wrapping up those tender plants that need to come in under cover. Mm. Um, we're tidying up around the garden. Uh, and we're just about ready. Uh, in the next couple of months, at least, we'll be ready for the garden to regrow next year. And it's, to, to my mind, uh, autumn with the colour and the contrast and the tones that you have in the garden is the most exciting time mm. um, I find it a much more exciting time than spring really mm. it's almost chaotic in the garden there's so much going on mm. um, and I'm quite excited really about some of the things I've got in mind for next year yes well that's that's going to be uh, you know very exciting as all that takes off so Pelham plants, mm. uh, which is the nursery that you've established here, mm. um, and largely you sell at plant fairs around the country. Has that all stopped now for the year? Yeah, we've just had our last plant fair. We were very lucky again to be invited to Great Dixter Autumn Plant Fair. Mm. Uh, Great Dixter is a, an inspirational garden. Mm. Uh, Fergus Garrett and before him uh, Christopher Lloyd, they've created a, um, a wonderful garden with... Uh, huge array of different um, garden rooms and different garden styles um, and to be able to go there and sell plants as Pelham plants was is a great opportunity yes um, and I'm also um, as Pelham plants I sell at a number of other plant fairs I work as part of the plant fairs roadshow group that's a whole group of independent nurseries that gather together and we have a series of about 10 or 11 plant fairs each year. We move around Sussex and Kent okay. and it's a good way of bringing independent nurseries together yes. to create this volume and range of plants with a wealth of expertise yes. that then attracts the customers. And I think as an independent nursery, I can't be in two places at once. I'd love to be able to open the nursery here. Uh, but I've got gardens to go to, I've got workplaces to go to, and you can't be here uh, seven days a week or even no. five days a week. No. So having this opportunity to have these um, market stalls, these fairs, these events, yes. where it brings lots of nurseries together, mm. is a really good way of getting your name out there. Yeah, and they're becoming more and more popular, aren't they, the, the, these plant yeah, fairs? Yeah, there's, there's a lot about, and yeah. we're, we're currently drawing up our list ready for next year. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had some really good successes. Uh, we have a spring plant fair at Arundel Castle. Mm -hmm. uh, we're hoping, fingers crossed, that we'll have an autumn plant fair at Sissinghurst <gasps> next year. Gosh. Uh, and I think being able really to bring the plants to the customer mm. uh, and to bring uh, a whole array of expertise into one location is a, is a great resource. Yeah. Um, and I think that runs in parallel quite nicely with established nurseries. And I'm hoping next year... Uh, whilst running Marchants, 
that pelham plants will be available at uh, plant fairs still yes excellent and will marchant does marchants hardy plants does that business carry on all through winter or do you we're closed down we're talking now it's the 21st of october we've got one week left oh. we close uh 26th of october this year uh we always close uh, mid to late october uh we love our customers we treat them as old friends or distant relatives <laughs> we're pleased to see them but we're sneakily quite pleased to see them go as well at the end of the season yes. and to have our home back again. Yes. And then we can start to cut the garden down and tear the garden apart and yes. make changes and make as much mess as we like. Mm. And no one turns up at tea break and no one turns up at the end of the day when we're packing up. Uh, we're free to get on with work yeah. uh, at our own pace. And yes. it's a, a really great feeling, actually, because... Uh, the the nursery is able and the garden is able to move on and get ready for next year. Yes. And then people come in fresh in spring. Lovely. And they can uh, see the, the the plants freshly propagated, uh, and the garden fresh and ready to go. So when do you reopen? Mid March is okay. oh, uh, when the nursery opens. Yeah, uh, it's uh, a few months dormancy for us in mm. winter. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to be put somewhere warm. Yeah, that's Over right. <laughs> yeah. Tent, like a tender plant. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then the garden tends to open uh, mid-May as well. Uh, it's a Generally, it's a late-season garden, mm -hmm. uh, so there's less to see in uh, March and April. Mm -hmm. um, but March and April is a good time to come in and, and see the new plants on offer. So just to, as we close, I, as we walked around the garden, I was wondering um, how... I know you had to plant to keep the wind out mm. and that was sort of uh, it um, affected a lot of your choices I guess certainly yeah. your trees and your mm. wind belts of plants did you have an overall design in mind when you planted up the garden well yes and no um, <laughs> I was really lucky in taking uh, a year off uh, to do the various horticultural courses at Stanmer Park. Mm. And one of those was a de uh, design course. Mm -hmm. uh, Lucy Coates is a, a local designer. She's a very experienced garden designer. And I did a little course with her and got lots of ideas. And then I tried to implement the same thing on paper here when we first arrived. Mm. We were very lucky. We had a blank canvas, really. Mm. It's a house in the middle of a two-acre paddock, if effectively. So it had a blank canvas. Um, but no matter how hard I tried, transferring ideas in my head onto paper and then onto the ground, it's quite tricky. Mm. And I think what ha happened in the end was a very gradual process. Mm. And you start gardening close to the house and uh, with the herbaceous perennials and you start to build in those little shelter belts with hedges and little garden rooms of hedges and trees and shrubs. Um, create some curves that you like the shape of. And it's really evolved over time. Every time I have a new idea, I love a hedge on a curve because as you walk around it, it almost feels like a helter-skelter. It's quite a surprise, quite fun as you mm. find new things as you go around. Mm. I quite like serpentine beds, so there's a serpentine border mm. through there. There's a little garden room. I'm almost trying to create my own... Um, I suppose, Dixter exotic garden, the old rose garden, which is that little garden that's packed full of tall perennials. Mm. Um, with And I've created that with high hedges and uh, late colour. Um, but it was really a piecemeal approach. Mm. Um, and in the end, the the uh, the land or the, the, the terroir of the garden, if you like, mm. determines what you end up doing. Mm. Um, and the uh, stickiest soil 
is where I grow trees and mm. the best soil is where I grow the herbaceous plants yeah. and I try to create little vistas from garden windows or little areas of interest for later season. Shade is very difficult to find in the in the midsummer garden but luckily I've got a wood and trees on one side so I've got little shady borders in those areas and in the end you have to do really what the garden forces you to do. Yes. Uh, right plant, right place. Yes. So don't try and create something from scratch on paper that isn't going to fit in with the uh, I suppose the the cloth that you've got yes yeah work with it mm. great well thank you so much for having me uh, here today I've enjoyed it so much and uh, it's been great and it's... thank you for bringing more rain that's just <laughs> what I needed another day of rain I'm sorry about that that's all right <laughs> now it's been great having you I'm really happy to have shown you around and hopefully uh, you can come again soon lovely look forward to it and look forward to all your new enterprises next year good See thanks you then. Goodness, we thought that rain would never stop. And of course it didn't until we went back into the potting shed. Oh well. For more information about the inspirational Paul Seaborn and his nursery Pelham Plants, you can contact him by email at pelhamplants at gmail.com and also check out his Instagram account at instagram.com forward slash pelhamplants. And do please follow me as I continue my regular podcasting pursuits on Instagram at In The Weeds With Anne. Thanks for listening and see you next time in the weeds. <laughs>